Hello and welcome to the Ahead of the Game podcast. Hello, welcome back. Um, we've got lots to talk about today. We've got Chris Jack and Scott Mullen alongside me, Alistair McKenzie. Uh, we've had the third week of the Scottish Premiership, but before we get onto that, we've just had the announcement of the Scotland squad to face Malta has just been announced as well. So, um, has anything really stood out for you here, Scott? You mentioned you're a bit surprised that uh, there's no Ross McCormick on the list. Yeah, but it's, it's an omission from uh, from the Scotland squad that's not been a stranger to Ross over over the last few years. I know he was he's been involved kind of laterally a couple of times. He's been included, but yeah, he's a player that I've always I've always wondered why he's not been included more than he has been because really wherever he goes. Down, down south, he scores goals and he carries a big reputation with himself and he manages to get massive transfer fees. He's now Scotland's richest ever, or most expensive ever player and he, he's not in the squad. Uh, I'm, there may be some behind it, there may be a niggle, or I'm not quite sure, uh, but I'm surprised that, that, he's, that he's not there, especially with all due respect to Malta. It's not the stiffest of opposition, so you might want to break away from playing just one person up front. I would have been quite interested to see Lee Griffiths and Ross McCormack playing in a front two together. Um, but he's gone with Stephen Fletcher, Lee Griffiths, Chris Martin and Stephen Naismith. So Gordon knows best, I'm sure. Uh, but no, he, he, he's what he's the one that I looked at it and I thought, no, I'd have liked to have seen him in there. Well, you say not the stiffest of opposition, but I suppose this is the kind of game we've had a few problems in in the past. So do you, have you been encouraged that we've got a few younger players, Chris? There's seen like John McGinn, Jack Hamilton, Kieran Tierney. There seems to be a few kind of... Good young contingent of Scottish players in that team. I think that has to be the way that Gordon went. There was no point in going with the same guys that have failed over the last two or three campaigns. He had to try and mix it up. I said in my column and even time this morning that I don't really think it matters who we pick or how we play in this qualifying campaign. We're not going to qualify anyway. Uh, not to get it off to a, a good downbeat start, but that's, <laughs> that's, that's you how it is. taking your happy pills <laughs> this morning. That's how it is. So I'm pleased that he has brought a couple of younger players in because it's, it's, you can't write the whole campaign off and say, we'll just play the kids and we'll try and experiment. But I think you have to bring younger players in. Please Barry McKay's in there. Please John McGinn's in there. Um, I'm sure there's guys in the 21 squad that if they play well in the next couple of games, second half of the campaign, might try and bring them in. Um, but I don't think there's that many surprises. Ross McCormack aside, I'd like to see him in there. I think get him in the squad. But I don't think there's many other guys, especially this early in the season, three, four games in. There's nobody really staked a claim that's not there. So I think overall... As we'd expected. As, as Chris touched on, the, 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 one of the names I'm, I'm delighted is in is John McGinn. John is a, is a fantastic player. He's done so well at Hibs. He was terrific when he was at when he was at St Mirren as well. But he's gone to Hibs and he's done really well. He played in the friendly against Denmark and was out, absolutely outstanding that day or that night. Sorry. Um, and I think with Scott Brown going out of the team, he for, for me John McGinn is a natural successor to to, to Scott Brown. He's, he's tenacious. He's got the same work ethic, he's, he, he'll run tirelessly, he'll chase things down, but he's also got a, a, range, a great range of passing on him and he's got a brilliant engine in him. I, th- I think he's ta- his football, his style is tailor-made for this Scotland team just now. He gives a bit of dig in the middle of the park that, looking through, I'd, there's not that many players, when you look at the, at the rest of the midfield, there's not that many players in that role that I think that, that are young enough to take, that they've, they've got a Scotland career within the next 10, 10 years. For me, I would build a Scotland team Round John McGinn, he's he's that kind of player, and he gives you a good solid base. Um, so I'm delighted he's in there. I just hope he gets his chance. And you mentioned Scott Brown there. With Scott Brown retiring last week, uh, which we talked about in Friday's show, um, the captaincy has opened up as well. And we're we were kind of hoping this might break while we're discussing things here, but nothing yet. Chris, who do you think's the strongest candidate to say that position? 
Darren Fletcher, I think, is the obvious one. Unlike Scott, I wouldn't even have John McGinn in the team. Um, <laughs> if, if they're going 4-2-3-1, I'd have uh, James MacArthur and Darren Fletcher as the two. Uh, and then have Snodgrass, Richie and Anya and Don Morrison ahead of them. Uh, I think Gordon will need to go back and try and trust you. There's not many guys in the squad that have captain's experience. So I think Darren Fletcher's the obvious one to step into the fold, if you like. Again, not the most forward-thinking, long-term planning option. But I think to get you off and running, to get you through the campaign, it's going to be somebody like him that'll, uh, that could take over the handband. I think I think the other one is Russell Martin as well. You look at you look at the centre halves there. I think Russell Martin's the one. He's, he's he's still young compared to compared to Gordon Greer. I think he's a better player than Grant Hanley is. I think no matter if anybody comes in over the next year or so, I think Russell Martin will still play. And I think he's got a bit of authority about him. He's played in the English Premier League. He's he's, he's kind of mainstay of that Norwich team as well. Um, I, th- I think Russell Martin is the other, is the other shout. Um, Robert but, Snodgrass had talked about wanting it himself. But do you think that's a bit of a long shot? I wouldn't say it's a long shot. No, I think it probably if you pick. A short list of three, I think Martin, Fletcher and Snodgrass are probably your three, because it has to be three guys that are going to start nine, nine games out of ten, mm-hmm. and you would imagine those three guys will be some of the first names on the team sheet, uh, it's too early for the likes of Robertson or uh, Tierney or anything like that, so I don't think Snodgrass will be that far away. No, he's, I mean, he's, he's not been involved through injury, um, nothing he's done of himself, but he's not been involved with the squad a lot um, recently because of injury, so that's maybe... Might kind of hamper his case a little bit. He's not. He's not really had a chance to stake much of a claim for it. But as Chris kind of alluded to, it's going to be. I'll not quite say that we won't qualify, but it's going to be incredibly difficult to qualify from this um, this section. Um, just with the way the World Cup qualify, qualifying procedure is, it's a lot harder now than what the Euros is. It's going to be so so difficult to qualify. It will be a little bit experimental this campaign, but it may be something. I think. I think you need to start with a positive mindset that we're going to go in. We'll get a win again. We'll try and get a win touch. Glass uh, <laughs> um, that you'll get a win against Malta. You then can take that forward. You get Lithuania at Hamden. You then, but it's all prep. Obviously, going into the England game. If you're going into the England game on the back and you've won your games up until that point, you need to really take it seriously. But if you start stumbling, then you lose the England game. Then you then have to look round and say, right, is this about trying to save this campaign and try and try and get into a playoff spot or a runner-up spot or whatever it is. Or do you just write that off and say, look, we're, not go- we're, we're now too far in, we're not going to make it, let's start experimenting. At this stage, I think he needs to stick with the tried and tested with what he's got and, and try and take some momentum from the last campaign, if there is any left, um, that hasn't been obliterated over the summer. Uh, try and take it into this campaign and see where we go. If it starts to go a bit south, kind of three, four games in, then you start looking at um, Barry Mackay, maybe John, John McGinn, um, you start experimenting with different formations and you maybe you bring in Jack Hamilton to play him as well. Um, but I think Gordon needs to take it seriously and I'm sure he will. And Lee Griffiths' club form has obviously been very encouraging, but do, do you think he'll be able to replicate that on international stage for Scotland as well? I, 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 think, he, I think he can do. He's shown, especially in recent games, Lee has been absolutely sensational against Piyashiva at Parkhead. And the, predominantly in the first half, I thought he was absolutely outstanding. Um, Gordon Strachan was at, at the game. He was working for our TV colleagues that day and said, said he was terrific. Um, I spoke to Mark McGee. Um, ahead of the Rangers Motherwell game on Thursday I spoke to Mark and it was only a day after Celtic had played Hapwell and he said Gordon had already been on the phone and was already raving about how Lee Griffiths played, how James Forrest played, um, how Kieran Tierney played. Um, I, I think Lee Griffiths has, has it's hard to say so early on especially after last season he scored 40 goals but 
he's now scoring goals in European football. He seems to have a great relationship with Brendan Rodgers, and, and he has brought something new to, to his game. Obviously, he's now got competition. Um, you've got Moussa Dembele in there as well. Um, you've got Scott Sinclair that's chipping in for goals, even from wide positions. I, th- I think I think Lee Griffiths will, will emerge over this campaign. He will be one of the positives. I mean, overall, Scotland may fall short, they may not, they may get there, and it's a fantastic campaign. But I, I'd predict that over the next next year and a half, two years, Lee Griffiths will be one of the, the shining lights of this Scotland team. Right, well, we'll come back to this if, if we see any news coming through about the captaincy. Um, but for now, I think we should talk about the uh, games over the weekend a little bit. Um, Chris, you're at Ibrox. Mm-hmm. Um, you were saying earlier that Rangers, again, they managed to win a game, but without actually kind of uh, giving a very convincing performance, maybe? Uh, not really put together a 90-minute performance yet this season. Rangers were OK in spells against Hamilton, managed to get a draw, played well in the first half up at Dundee, managed to get a 2-1 win. I thought on Saturday they started quite well first 10-15 minutes, Motherwell then got a goal, second half of the first half didn't go that well for Rangers, came out, started again, plenty of chances and had Motherwell on the back foot. They deserved to win it, but I think Mark Warburton would have preferred to see the team create more chances, take more chances and just look a bit more kind of authoritative. They've not really come out and blown, blown a team away yet. They've still got the points on the board and three games in, seven points, it's not been a bad return, but been expecting a bit more from Rangers so far, not quite delivered. No, it was a bit. Um, I, I was I was at Ibrox with with Chris on Saturday as well, and Motherwell um, did look comfortable. I thought going in at half time, they were they were one 0 up. They had, a, they had a chance immediately after going one 0 up that Craig Clay just pulled wide. Um, there was a, a chance earlier on as well that if Lionel Ainsworth had played a little better ball inside the fullback, Marvin Johnson could have been in. They could have had another one. Same in the second half. Scott McDonald had a good shot that Wes Fotheringham pulled off a great save. Um, and from a selfish point of view, my beloved mother will look as if they'd held on. And for the last, I think Chris may echo this as well. When, when Rangers equalised, mother were on the back foot and looked really, mm-hmm. really quite shaky. But from about, I'd say, but from eighty minutes to ninety minutes, Rangers looked as if they'd kind of run out of ideas. Mother looked as if they got a second wind and had kind of steadied the ship a little bit. Um, but again, I think it was just a fitness at the end. They managed. They, they, they had resources in their bench, which got them through. Um, and they'd, they've got a squad depth that Motherwell obviously don't have they, I think Mark said that, he said they looked at his bench and they didn't have anybody to bring on um, I thought he might have brought on McFadden for the last 10 minutes but he decided against it just to cheer you up just to try and cheer <laughs> me up yeah. Um, so no it, it, wasn't, it, wasn't, to, it wasn't to be But I, and I said this in my Sunday Herald match report as well Rangers and Celtic as much as they've not played each other this season Saturday was a barometer for them because obviously Motherwell played at Parkhead kind of just nine ten days before the game at the weekend, got absolutely hammered. Could have been it was five nil going in about fifteen. Then Rangers play that same Motherwell team only two games later, and they're scraping a draw. Or oh, sorry, the Lutzer were scraping a draw, then they ended up getting the win out of it. But it wasn't really, it wasn't convincing. Certainly not in the same par as the way that Celtic blew Motherwell away um, the the midweek beforehand. So it's you don't want to read too much into it, but certainly take looking at the two games in isolation. There's a there's a at the moment, a vast difference, you would think, between a lot more questions than there are answers around this Rangers team just now. Chris, do you think that the defence is still the main cause of concern as Philippe Senderos training with the club at the moment? Do you expect him to be coming into the side? I would think after the Julian Lescott deal fell through last week, I'd be amazed if Senderos isn't the next Rangers signing and the final Rangers signing of the summer. He's back in training at Murray Park this morning. Uh, not expecting anything to happen with it today, but I'd imagine over the next couple of days... Uh, certainly head into the uh, Kilmarnock game St. Ross probably offer something and probably sign it uh, Mark Warburton has probably known since February March time that he had to get a centre-half bearing to challenge for the Premiership title uh, Keelan and Wilson for other reason the two of them 
sometimes when they play alongside somebody else, they can look alright. There's just something about the partnership between them that doesn't work. Uh, Moral had a fair share of chances, Aki's had a fair share of chances, Dundee also scored from a free header and then chances in the second half at Dens Park. So it's certainly an issue for Rangers. Um, for all the midfield talent I've got, for as good as that going forward, they've now played three games, they've lost three goals. You can't go into every game knowing you have to score at least twice to have a chance of picking up the point. So I think Senderos will come in. Who then partners them? I don't think there's much difference between uh, Clint Hill, Kiernan and Danny Wilson. It's good horses for courses in that uh, sense, but I think Senderos will come in. Um, and we just need to wait and see how, how fit he is and how good he is. And uh, at the other end of the park, do you think Joe Garner, he was presented at half-time on Saturday, mm-hmm. do you think he's the kind of player who can make a big difference? Do you expect him to slot straight in? Or uh, as Harry Forrester said, he's the fox in the box. Um, <laughs> his goal-scoring record in the Championship last season wasn't that great, uh, but his record in League One the season before was excellent, and there's a bit of interest in him uh, just the last summer, also came up, didn't do as well in the Championship. Uh, but I spoke to Kevin Davis, his former Preston teammate last week, and he spoke very highly of him. Uh, but he seems to be a more central player than what Rangers have got. They don't really have somebody that you can always say is the focal point of the attack. And I think if Garner comes up and doesn't really move outside the 18-yard box, I think the Rangers fans will be quite happy because there's so much of their play is good, but there's never an end product to it. There's a lot of crosses swung in from both sides on Saturday, but there's nobody to go on, to go on the end of them. So if, if Garner can come in and just sniff around, try and sniff out chances in the middle of the box... I think he should be a good addition. We spoke about that on Saturday, though, mm-hmm. didn't we? That that Andy Halliday was ended up mm-hmm. having to play quite almost as a centre forward because of the way that the way Harry Forrester drifts about. That Kenny Miller with his work rate. I mean, Rangers fans will know this. Scotland fans will know this. Celtic fans may know this. He'll, he'll just keep running and running and running. And he ended up getting pulled away at the side, which meant Andy Halliday had to step up through the middle. And a couple when Motherwell were still winning one 0 in the early stages of the second half, when crosses were going in, it was Andy Halliday they were getting aimed at. Now, really. He's a good player, but he shouldn't be playing out there. If if there's anything that's going to have to happen that's going to come from Joe Garner, as Chris said, if he plays centrally and he sits and doesn't move within a ten yard radius of the penalty spot, maybe that maybe that's what they're needing. Yeah, and um, Kilmarnock on Friday it seems almost like the ideal game for Rangers at this stage of the season. Though I mean they were beaten again this weekend, so. Do you, do you expect to see Garner coming straight into the side from there? I would think so. I think he'll train with the first-team squad in the next couple of days, uh, especially Martin Wycorn might be back for uh, Friday night. I think especially after the injury that he's had, if they don't have to rush him back, there's no point. As well, just hold him off. He can then play in the Linfield game uh, the week after next and then get into the firm game. So I would think Garner would probably start. Uh, the big issue for Matt Warburton is midfield. Because he has seven or eight midfielders when anybody's fit. It's time to pick the best three that complements the striker that he's going to play. So when, once Herbie's fit, I'll be interested to see how Herbie fits into the into the squad and fits into the team. Um, but I think we'll certainly see Garner, if not from the start, certainly after uh, 60 minutes or so down at Rugby Park. You wonder if as well, if, if even if Martin Wycorn is fit, if Warburton will play him given what happened last time Rangers uh-huh. played there. You know, he, he, It was that, that infamous moment where he, he scored the goal and hobbled off and Rangers lost him for the, pretty much the rest of mm-hmm. the season. Mm-hmm. And, and Mark Warburton was quite... Um, quite critical of the, the rugby park pitch which as I saw I was down there in the first game of the season when they played Motherwell and they've they've brought the pitch dimensions in they've, they've kind of played about with it at, to Lee Clark's request um, you wonder how that's going to go down as well I mean I know managers do uh, I've spoken to several of them in the past that do change the way they change the team that they pick and the way their team plays given what surface it is that, that does happen um, but you do wonder that there's a big massive red, there's a big massive 
red panic button at Rugby Park somewhere with a finger poised over it um, with the way things have been going over the yeah. last couple of weeks and you've got to Rangers are grinding out results um, uh, Kilmarnock are grinding out performances but not resu- not getting the win out of it or even a draw out of it in most cases so you've got to fear for them this Friday I think even though Rangers haven't been flying I still think they'll be, they'll be too strong for Kilmarnock um, Well Celtic also got a win this weekend Um this was a bit of a strange game against St. Johnston. It was almost a kind of mirror image to the half-well game earlier in the week. I mean, Celtic fans, on the one hand, should be encouraged by how freely they seem to be scoring goals, but on the other hand, they, they do seem to have this uh, tendency to be throwing a few away as well. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit like what Rangers were like last year in the Championship, wasn't mm-hmm. it? If you score two, we'll score six. Um, it, <laughs> which is fair, fair enough. It may be what you want. Obviously, in European football, against against half-well, that's, that's the last thing you want to be doing is chucking away two, two away goals. But on Saturday, I thought, especially in the first half, Celtic were um, Celtic were terrific. James Forrest's goal was sensational. If Lionel Messi scores that goal for Barcelona in La Liga, they'd be they'd be waxing lyrical about it on on um, Sky Sports or any other available broadcaster. Um, so no, the, Celtic going forward, Sinclair has has given them an extra bit of dynamism that they, they never really had last season. James Forrest is looking. He's, to be honest, he's looking like a new player. I mean, I'll openly admit, whenever I thought he was going to go, kind of January, February from Celtic, I thought, you know what, it's possibly the best thing for both mm-hmm. parties because he just doesn't, he just didn't look at the races. But he was sensational on Saturday. Again, it's that that def- it's the, the, the defence. There just seems to be something about it that they give away silly goals, silly passbacks. Colo Tuturi in the first half almost got caught out a couple of times when Celtic were cruising. I remember at one, one point about 20 minutes in, he just gave the ball to Stephen McLean as if, all right, OK, on you go, run at me, see what happens. Um, so I don't know. They've obviously all got De Vries in as a new goalkeeper as well. Is it maybe in Rodgers' mind to, to change that up and maybe he'll be a little bit better? I don't know. I, I, I like Craig Gordon as a goalkeeper. Um, but there's certainly something there's certainly something about that Celtic defence that just isn't quite clicking at the moment. It used to be you pointed the finger at Effie Ambrose and thought he was the problem, which he possibly was at the time, but there's certainly, even without him, there's a little bit of calamity in there that they've not managed to tune out. And so tomorrow night's second leg of the Champions League qualifier over in Israel, um, I mean, a huge game for many reasons for Celtic. <coughs> um, also the, you know, Twenty million pound jackpot that's up for grabs here. Do you expect them to? I mean, I think Rogers wants them to probably play with that freedom and try and keep that playing philosophy. But do you think they'll they'll be able to go over to such a difficult stadium and carry on playing in that manner? I don't think they'll be quite as aggressive as what they were at Parkhead. Although I do think they will go over there and I think they will score. Um, you can't go from putting five past the team to not even putting one by them. I, I, I just I don't see it at all. Beersheev in the last round against Olympiacos went away from home and sat with five men in defence as they did at Parkhead. They, they carried out a little bit better because they didn't, they didn't concede. <laughs> they, they let five in at Parkhead. At home against Olympiacos they played with four at the back. That's pos- I'm assuming that's what they're going to do. They're going to do tomorrow night as well. Um, they, I mean, they're really going to have to... Uh, Celtic, are the, obviously, the, the, the result puts them in a perfect position, but even if the tie was... 0-0 or 1-0 to Celtic after the first leg. Beersheva are going to have to come out and that's going to suit Celtic's game perfectly because you've got guys like Sinclair and Forrest who we've already said are in brilliant form just now that are just going to try and hit them in the counter-attack. The fact that Beersheva are going to come out and have to try and get a handful of goals. Yeah, I, <clears throat> I do think both teams will score tomorrow but I do think Celtic will, Celtic will be more than comfortable by the end of the 90 minutes. I don't know what Chris mm-hmm. thinks but I, th- I, think, I think Celtic are more than a foot already in the Champions League. Sure. You just can't see Celtic not scoring. They probably will concede, but they probably will score. And if they score one, that's going to be enough to get them through. So, 
I think you're, both teams are scorers you're bet for tomorrow night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so elsewhere in the league, there's wins. Aberdeen Hearts both got wins for the first time this season, so I think they'll be re- relieved about <laughs> that. Um, Hearts, bit of a strange one. They got all this grief for playing too defensively, and now they've put five past Cali, but I suppose it's also the opposition are in complete turmoil at the, at the time as well. So says the Ross County fan, <laughs> a smile on his face. Um, yeah, I mean, Ro- Ro- Inverness are another club, a bit like a bit like Kilmarnock, that you do, you're already mm-hmm. fearing for them about three games in. Richie Foran's a brilliant guy, and, and I, I really, really hope he does well, but you do, fi- you do feel it's, it was a bit of a Bit of a comfortable and mm-hmm. easy, a bit of an easy choice, wasn't mm-hmm. it? You know that it just seemed off. We'll get Richie's here. He's he's kind of keen. He's done his some of his badges. He's a keen coach. We'll just give it to him, and they may end up paying the price for it if they've not got a lot of experience there to try and try to try and drag them through. From a coaching aspect, certainly Hearts are now Hearts really haven't looked that much at the races they gave Celtic a bit of a run in the first game Aberdeen last week Matthew Lindsay was there from us and said it was possibly the worst game of football he's ever watched in his life and he's seen Matthew being an Inverness fan he's seen a few of them um, so you do you do worry Hearts are now up and running can you, I don't know if you can read too much into the fact that they, they scored so many goals I think as you say given given the opposition um, Aberdeen as well will be happy that they're, they're, they're up and running because a bit like Hearts they're not really They've not really looked up to the up to the standard that they set last year. Chris, do you expect Aberdeen can kick on and actually challenge in the same way that they did last season? I don't think so. I said pre-season, uh, a piece of the Sunday Herald, that uh, Rangers and Celtic going, going for the title and Aberdeen and Hearts would go for third and fourth. I've not seen anything so far to, to change that. Um, it's been a sticky start for two of them. They'll both be pleased to get those wins on the board. But in terms of getting enough wins on the board to put their challenging coming in, I just don't see it. I don't think Aberdeen have... We've got more numbers from last season. I don't think we've improved the quality that much. Certainly in the forward areas, we've made quite a few signings, but I don't think there's that much else there. Um, and also Hearts, for some reason, the Hearts fans don't really take to uh, the manager there. It just seems like an unhappy place, Tynecastle at times. Um, I'm sure the two of them will go and have decent seasons. Two of them will probably do quite well. They'll be comfortable in the top six, but I think third is the, is the fight that the two of them are in. Aberdeen are, are just so reliant on Johnny Hayes and Adam Rooney, and I think the boy Stockley that's come in um, from Bournemouth, I think he, he he's come up from. Is is he the the signing that if one of them gets injured, he's going to step up and get in? Say say Johnny Hayes is injured for six weeks. Is he somebody that for that six weeks that he's put in going to get you a goal a game? I, I, I don't know. I don't I don't think he is. He's he's not got the. I don't think he's got a good enough pedigree. He might prove prove me wrong, but I'd agree with Chris. I think. For me, I say and I say that pre-season as well. I think Celtic will be streaks ahead of everybody else, and it'll be a fight between Rangers, Aberdeen, and Hearts for second. Right, well, time will tell. Um, thanks very much for joining me, guys. Uh, we'll be back again doing another show later this week, so please tune in then. And thanks for watching. Thanks for listening to Ahead of the Game. We'll see you again next time.